Stats in a Wrap, the new podcast series from Eurostat. Welcome to another episode of Stats in a Wrap, the podcast series from Eurostat, the statistical office of the European Union. With this podcast series, we want to immerse ourselves in the world of statistical data by wrapping them into small packages, intriguing stories and fascinating conversations about the everyday and not so everyday that we experience in our lives. No topic is too obscure or too obvious because we, the data scientists at the frontiers of knowledge, know that the numbers never lie and they nearly always have something new to say. We hope to bring you interesting, delicious bites served piping hot from our wrap stall. I'm Jonathan Elliott, your host for this episode, and today we're bringing you a world first, a podcast with video. Oh, okay, it's actually a podcast about videos, the winning entries in the European Statistics Competition, which invites two-minute films presenting official statistics on a range of themes from school students. The aim is to get them familiar with statistics and using official statistical sources. In today's podcast, we'll be talking to a winner of the competition in 2021 when the theme was fake news, as well as this year's two winning teams where the theme was the environment. If you'd like to watch the films, just Google European Statistics Competition and you'll find this year's finalists and winners there, as well as those from 2021. Just a few weeks ago, the latest victors from Bulgaria and Italy received their awards at a prize-giving ceremony in Madrid, and we'll be chatting to the judges and a special advisor who knows the competition well, Joanna Korowski-Peak. Welcome, Joanna. Uh, hello, Jonathan. Thank you for the invitation. And from Eurostat, Tim Allen. Hi, Jonathan. Lovely to welcome you too. You were chairing the judging panel. And a warm welcome too to Glenn Campbell from the European Commission, who had, along with his colleagues, the unenviable task of deciding a winner. Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for inviting me. So, Tim, let me just come to you first. First of all, why is Eurostat doing this competition? Um, You've been involved with it, I think, from the beginning. It's five years or so old now. Um, So just tell us what was the thinking behind it? Uh, The reason we're doing it is simple. It's uh, that we believe that we have a a duty to promote statistical literacy. And that starts at schools and universities. Um, And this competition is an excellent opportunity to get in contact with a generation of secondary school students and to give them what we hope is an interesting task with a with a good reward uh, where they can learn about official statistics, how to use them and present them. Um, I mean, you, you've, you've added an extra twist, which makes it even more fiendish, it seems to me. I mean, statistics are hard enough to deal with at, at the best of times, but you've also asked them to make a video. I mean, they can't just produce a PDF or do some nice, decent scholarly work. They actually have to make a video to illustrate. What's with the video thing? What we think is that these days it's not good enough just to produce statistics in the old way, compile a table, put it in a book. Uh, These days, official statisticians are competing with a range of other outlets. you, You can Google anything and find an answer, but not necessarily a good answer. So I come from a communication background within statistics, and it's a firm belief that is shared at the highest level of Eurostat that alongside high quality production work, you also need high quality communication. So what we're asking the students to do is to demonstrate both skills, the ability to find 
data, to analyse it, but also to present it in an attractive and interesting way. Well, exactly. And the videos uh, that I saw, which was the 10 shortlisted ones, were extremely attractive and very diverse and um, varied. Um, Joanna, now, I just want to come to you here um, and, and talk a little bit about how inspiration, creativity and originality in students seems to be quite important here because the way that the films get made it very much draws on the individual talents of those involved. Just tell us a bit about that. First of all, my students watched the winner's videos from previous editions to see what a good film should be like. They also tried to guess what the jury might like and what they might not like. Then we have a closer look at the topic of the video in a given year. We discuss it a bit and then I'm waiting for their ideas. I want to know what technique they decide on and what story they want to tell. Uh, and and I encourage them to use their skills. Well, yes, indeed. The multidisciplinary talents are there for everyone to see in these videos. There's everything from people singing songs, operating drones and acting. The full scale of the cinematic and theatrical arts are on display. And we learn quite a lot about statistics too. Well, just a few weeks ago, the winners of the 2022 competition were announced at a special event in Madrid. Stats in a Wrap sent its roving reporter to capture a little of the occasion and a speech given by Eurostat Director General Mariana Kotseva. I would like to welcome you on behalf of Eurostat team uh, it's a pleasure and it was indeed a great pleasure that we could organize together within Spain this uh, physical meeting. This European statistical competition has become a good success. Uh, we have over 17,000 students across Europe who have participated in this round. And we have participants from 19 countries. We, people who have been working uh, with data and with official statistics, believe that it's increasingly important in today's world to have a data literacy, to know how to use the data, how to interpret them, um, how to make them a power in your daily life and in your professional life. And this should start from schools. Well, that was a clip from the awards ceremony in Madrid just a few weeks ago. Tim, you were there. Can you give us a pen portrait of the award ceremony, a post-COVID event, I think, with everybody there physically present with each other, which must have been a pleasant novelty. Yes, indeed. I mean, we'd had physical uh, award ceremonies for the first two times we ran the competition. Then in 2020 and 2021, obviously, we were faced with a very difficult situation where it was either not possible or not prudent to, uh, to fly a, a dozen people round Europe. But this year, all was looking good. Uh, so we had the Italian team there, the Bulgarian team there. Uh, we had teachers. We had representatives of the statistical offices. We had friends and family in some cases. Then uh, we had the Spanish team who run the competition for us and uh, Eurostat's director general to present the prizes. And I, I think all round, everybody was extremely pleased to be there in person once again. So we've managed to catch up with our Bulgarian winners, the production team behind a film called 
data power. A beautifully rendered video, I have to say, full of lavish shots of the Bulgarian countryside. A real treat to watch. I have with me uh, Martin Kostadinov. Hello, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. And uh, with him is uh, Viktor um, Hekimov. Hello, thank you for having us. First of all, just tell me a little bit about the idea behind data power. What were you trying to do and how did you come to that particular idea? We are a group of friends at first place. Gabriela uh, invited us to join uh, as a team in this competition, which uh, Mr. Bozef, our mentor, posted in our uh, online uh, place, uh, we, which we have in school, like a group chat. Uh, and uh, after his invitation, uh, Gabriela uh, wanted us to join as a team and invited me, uh, me and Victor to join. And had you made videos before? Because it's extremely polished. The production values are very high. So um, it gives me the impression that you were film students. Well, we have made videos before for different competitions. Not as good as this one. However, we did get some help uh, in regard to the equipment, so that was a big bonus for us there. Yeah, but uh, also something you mentioned, we are not uh, film students. Uh, we are uh, economics and uh, computer science students at the National uh, Trade and Banking High School in Bulgaria. Tell me, were there any challenges with that? Because, um, I mean, when I was a TV reporter, I found myself struggling to remember my lines and uh, always uh, saying, stopping in the middle of them and things like that. How, how easy did you find it being on screen? There was a very hard time with uh, structuring uh, the words and the order uh, around the text we are going to say. But uh, after a long time, we prepared and uh, we were ready to go. Well, uh, I have to ask you, although you say you're a computer uh, students and economists, I wonder if you triggered in you a desire to make more of these. Have you got any plans in the future to work as a team to make uh, more films? To work as a team, definitely, to make more films. If the opportunity presents itself, then... And if, uh, if it's something that we take interest in. For example, uh, another important thing is the topic. And for example, this year's topic was the environment and statistics. So that's a very up-to-date topic. And um, that is also, it, it plays a big part in taking interest to make the video. I was certainly astounded at the quality of the videos being made. And I always remembered school film projects being absolutely excruciating to watch. And this quality here is outstanding. Joanna, I'm going to ask you, uh, first of all, I mean, how do you support young students, some of them, you know, 16, 17 and younger than that, to make... Um, films which do require technical mastery they're, and they're not given sort of any professional support. It's not as if they have a team of videographers and editors to help them out. They actually have to do the work themselves. How on earth do they get so good? I think that uh, this technical part of the video making process is very hard for students, especially in my country, because they don't have anything like this at school. So they should learn anything on their own. And this is not very easy. The um, post-production process uh, also is a big challenge. The video editing, adding, adding subtitles, adding music. So I think that we need some support in this. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the Polish Statistical Office organized a meeting for the best teams on the national stage and video creation workshop uh, there. 
So I think it was a great idea and it was very, very helpful for us. Absolutely, indeed. I just want to sort of talk now, perhaps we could ask uh, Tim and I could ask you and then Glenn, I'll come to you as well. So let's just talk a little bit about the winners themselves, about the two videos which came out overall on top. An initial number of submissions, which I think Tim is, this is right, 68 submissions, shortlist of 10. We had Bulgaria Data Power and Geotistica from Italy, a very jolly mix of hiking clips on a phone and a presenter giving us uh, little pieces to camera. Um, just talk us through about why you think these were standout videos. What made these special? I think for both these videos, what you've got is an interesting mix of, of outdoor footage. Uh, the Italians obviously did, told a story around hiking through a forest and the Bulgarians did things like canoeing. And with the overlaid statistics and, the, and so on, you sometimes see a theme developing. And I can assure you it's not imposed by us from the top. It's obviously, you know, the spirit of the year. And this year it did seem to be a little bit mixing of live recorded outdoor footage with the other elements. Yes, Glenn, you were a voting member of the jury and uh, talk us through the features that you uh, were particularly impressed by. We had the storytelling, um, the whole um, the whole scene setting. As Tim just said, they were outdoors. They were they were in the topic. Yeah, they're really in the topic and explaining things and moving around. Uh, they weren't just reading the lines. They were really presenting and they were engaging with us as the audience. Like, for example, in the Geotistica one, well, the presenter, he was actually uh, touching the, the logs as the other were coming to the forest. And there was this kind of thing. In the Day to Power uh, video, we had the tracking shot uh, with the camera moving back and the person was coming towards us. And they use that quite a lot. And that just helped us to engage with what they were saying and also uh, see the scenery around them and what they were talking about. That's so true, actually, now that you mentioned that. Both the fluidity and the adventurousness of the presenters and the camera work. So with the award ceremony just finished, we've managed to catch up with the production team who made the winning Italian entry, Geotistica. We have with us today Sofia Fasano. Hello, Sofia. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. And we have with her Sara Ticci. Thank you for inviting me. How did you come up with the idea? Tell me about the process. We uh, chose uh, the uh, topic of the forest because uh, we live uh, in uh, Mugello, an area with uh, a lot of forest and uh, woods. So uh, we chose this uh, topic because uh, it, uh, it is uh, very interesting and uh, we like uh, it. Just what was your uh, motivation to participate? I mean, what was your individual backgrounds? Have you made lots of videos before? Uh, no. No. We um, participate because uh, our teachers uh, decided uh, to let our class uh, participate at uh, the individual phase. And then we passed the individual phase. We arrived second in the national phase, and so we participated at the European phase. And we participate because it is an important competition, and so we were very excited. You decided to do it in Italian with subtitles. And that's unusual because a lot of people who make these videos submit them in English, even though that's not their first language. Did you discuss among yourselves about whether to do it in English or to do it in Italian? Or did it just feel natural to do it in Italian? Uh, we um, decided to do it in Italian because we are 
we are not very good uh, in English uh, and so uh, we decided uh, to do in Italian. Very simple, practical reason. Very good. I mean, why not? Yeah. And one of the things the judges liked about the programme was the movement. Everything was moving all the time. There was no static stuff. And even the little Instagram videos, you were moving and climbing up and there was, it was lighthearted, but it was also very informative. Joanna, I just wanted to ask you, when we spoke last about this, you told me that your teams write their script in, um, I guess, Polish in your case, and then they translate it into English. Did anybody say, well, why don't we just do it in Polish? <laughs> I think that nothing wrong with Polish. Maybe there is a lot of such sh, d, t, and it's hard to listen for somebody else. <laughs> so I think this is uh, that uh, my students wanted to have video which is for the very, very broad uh, audience. What impresses me even more, Tim, coming to you, is the uh, incredible rigour uh, in with which you do the judging. Um, my word, you really have set up a quite a sophisticated judging system. Can you, for the benefit of our listeners, in case there's any doubt about the worthiness of the winners, talk us through that? So what we did was we brought together a team from the National Statistical Offices and from Eurostat, and we divided those up into groups of four, and they viewed a, a more restricted number of videos each. Obviously, we were careful to make sure no NSI judged the videos from its own country. And then from each of those judging panels, I think six videos went forward. And that gave us 12 videos in each age group. And at this stage, that's where we brought in the external panel. And again, we split them in two halves, four people in each half. And then finally, we had a video conference to discuss the merit and compare and uh, vote in several rounds uh, until we reached what we felt was a good consensus. And yes, we, we try to do it as thoroughly as possible and we try to do it as fairly as possible. I'm going to move on and ask Glenn a question, which is about um, the criteria. Clearly, what I found interesting in what Tim was saying was that statisticians and communications people, both on the panels judging, but these are quite different perspectives. Just talk us through your criteria, because you, it wasn't just gut instinct, was it? You, you actually had quite clear categories that decided the merit of a particular video. Would you like just to tell us a bit about that? We had four criteria. There was style and creativity. There was the clarity of the message and there was a use of appropriate official statistical data and there was also uh, the referencing and also how um, a report on how they made the video, the whole story plan, what they used in terms of equipment, the actors, the music they used and so on. Um, I have to say there were some personal favourites. My, mine was unquestionably the one about Iceland uh, because it was so interesting. It was an investigation as to why per capita Iceland had the greatest carbon emissions and it all went down to the aluminium industry. And I, I was taken down a whole line of reasoning and investigation, which in a two minutes was, was astounding. Whoever conceived of that is going to be a brilliant investigative filmmaker one day, I suspect, because uh, it was really illuminating. Glenwood, was there one which uh, didn't quite make it, but that you still have a soft spot for? 
Well, actually, uh, the Icelandic one, Jonathan, was one of my personal favourites because, as you said, it was such a good example of getting into statistics, digging deeper, seeing why this is a uh, we have this uh, we have this general figure that we see, but what's behind it? And it's sad we can only nominate two first prize winners. Tim, you wanted to say something. Please butt in. Yes, I mean it's true. There are examples where jurors pointed to a video and said, we realise this video didn't score quite well enough to make it through to the next stage, but we, you know, it was so amusing, it was so interesting, we thought we'd just say, do take a look at it. For instance, two teams that did rap videos, very imaginative, very interesting and amusing. It's time to talk to some more filmmakers, this time from Slovenia. Two teams, in fact, one representing the most recent competition about the environment and then the previous one in 2021 on misinformation and fake news. We have René Zizek from the team Rerenela, who were finalists this year. And um, we also have Tiasha Koros and Nia Stomper, whose name in Slovenian I refuse to pronounce, but it means <laughs> flower pots in English, and they won in 2021. Guys, hello, René, hello, hello, hello and um, Tiasha, hello. Hi. Um, hi, Nia. Thank you for inviting us. It's lovely to have you join us. I just wanted to talk a little bit about how you made your videos and what um, were the both the good and the more challenging parts. Uh, René, just talking about um, your video, just tell us a little bit about the story and how you put it together with your team. What was the original idea and what did you do? We stick to the plan the whole way through. Uh, first, we write a bit on our scenario and stuff like that. Then we focused on different cuts, different uh, scenes, and we put the whole video together at the end. We, of course, had to look at the data. Step by step, we made the whole video happen. But uh, did you find it a challenge mixing both um, the need for statistics, which are sort of notoriously dry and difficult to express and communicate, with your dramatic intention? How did you manage to combine the two? It was a bit of a challenge, but we tried to make it fun and make it interesting, entertaining, and we think that we were quite successful at it. You were definitely successful. I thought it was by far the most amusing and knowing one. I think it was certainly stuck in my mind. What were the highlights when, in the shooting of it? I mean, were there moments where you were just um, really enjoying it and it was really good fun? And just tell us a bit about the best part of making the video. I think there isn't specifically the best part about it. I try to think as the whole video as fun as, as the whole. We were filming it in one day, so... I can't remember specifically which part was the most fun. It was fun throughout the whole um, making. And what experience, René, did you have before of making videos and films? I mean, were you all quite experienced at doing short videos and stuff for YouTube or were you learning as you went? Uh, we didn't have much experience about filming and we asked for help in the technical aspects of filming. Um, we have a more like a filming uh, school here on our uh, school filming program, so yeah. What did you find difficult? Because for me, I always find the filming is difficult, but the editing is easy because you can just sit down at a computer and make lots of decisions as long as you like. But tell me, what, what was the most difficult part for you guys? Did you ever hit a point where you thought, this is really difficult? It wasn't really difficult, but the editing actually took the whole day 
for the two-minute video, which we didn't think that it would take uh, a whole day. But yeah, it was quite stressful at some point, but we made it happen and we are happy with the final product. Of course, excellent as the videos are, they're not made by professionals, so technical imperfections are bound to appear. I asked Glenn whether technical brilliance was a factor in deciding the winner, or whether the overall idea carried more weight. We can't expect perfect videos from young people. These are not professional videos made by companies. So, of course, we, uh, we make allowances for that. That's fascinating because technical perfection in the age of YouTube is becoming less and less uh, of a requirement. And it's the spirit behind the idea, wouldn't you say? Yes, it's exactly that, Jonathan. We have lots of young people out there who are really motivated to create videos and to express themselves and to, to convey messages. And uh, they might not have all the skills necessary, but that's, that's enough, in fact, just to have that motivation and to do what they can. Yes, technically the videos are of a very high standard and some of them quite legitimately add a few professional touches like stock footage. The styles and techniques are really very varied. You can see some people make use of stock footage and others film absolutely everything themselves. Some people in previous years have essentially done an animated cartoon. You can look back at previous winners and some people have filmed themselves. There are so many stylistic possibilities and I think they're all in with a chance of winning if, as you say, they get the right emotion behind the message and the right message backed up by the right statistics. Good point. I do have to ask one question, though. As a film producer, I'm always looking at the money and the budget. Did you have to limit what people spend? Because stock footage isn't free. Were there limits on or are there limits in the competition about how much competitors can spend? We, we don't set any limits. Stock footage and the music, we insist, it's part of the rules, that they document and show that uh, whatever they've done is correct under copyright. So they haven't just gone to uh, YouTube or wherever and taken somebody's video. If they use stock footage or stock music, they have to show it. I can remember from the very first year of the competition, when we started to look at the videos, one of them came up using Eye of the tiger as the music we had to send it straight back to them and say no because i bet you haven't got a, a release to use that yes could have been a, a bit of a big bill there <laughs> joanna i was just going to come to you now because um i mean you've had a lot of experience working with teams and working with people making these videos so just tell me a little bit about your own experience of what makes for a successful team when they're kind of devising and putting together the video. What are the secrets of a good team and a good video? First of all, I'm not a typical teacher uh, because I don't meet with my students at school. I run rather extracurricular activities, a kind of statistical club for young people from different schools of our city. So they have a lot of fun with playing with data. We have one two hours long meeting a week to learn about probability and statistics. And this, is, this topic is interesting for these young people because it is hardly present in the mathematics lessons program. So this is something new for them. And uh, they want to uh, learn a lot. They want to know uh, how the data are present in reality uh, in our world. 
and how to find the data and how to use the data. It's very tempting, isn't it, particularly with statistics, to cram as many as you can onto the screen, the famous death by PowerPoint. Did you ever find that, you know, your students had to be advised, less is more, you put in one statistic, um, people remember it, if you put in five, they forget all five. How did you manage and how did you manage with the presentation of numbers? That's quite a challenge. Uh, yes, so I think that the story should be first. So... First, the story and what do we want to present, and then the data. And that's true that you should choose only this what is really important, not everything. So coming back to our Slovenian filmmakers, we talked a little earlier to René Zizek, one of the team behind a shortlisted video on the environment, Rebrenela. The previous year, we also had a Slovenian winner, Flowerpots, who are still with us. Um, so, Ania Stomper, can you tell us what was your challenge and what was um, the intention behind your project? Your video featured a song. So tell us a bit about how you devised that song and how you wrote it together and what led you to decide to make a song as part of your video. We both are musicians and we perform together a lot. And we thought that like this final element should be a song. So uh, we kind of wrote it together. Um, Tiasha made uh, a guitar part and I made the lyric and then we put it together and we just wanted to to send the message through a song because we think that people uh, are more likely to listen to a song than to just watch a video. But expressing statistical data through music is a quite an interesting concept and a bit of a challenge. Did you sometimes worry that you were going to miss some critical point in your message because it was, you know, music is not naturally given to uh, hard analysis and, and data crunching. So it's a, they're two quite different worlds, aren't they? It was, it was very difficult to put the lyrics uh, to match the statistical data, but we just wanted to say something generally, something that would be fun to listen to so that people could get it instantly, just like that. So it was a bit of a challenge, but not too much, I think. Um, and so, uh, Tiasha, tell me, what are you planning next? What's your, going to be your next production? Or are you sticking just to music and playing in bands? To be honest, I think for now it's going to be music. We're writing a song that we're going to put on to another competition, I guess. But a music video? <laughs> Perhaps. We're going to see where this goes. Okay, um, and we're just going to, uh, to look forward a little bit. Tim, I just want you to talk to us about a little bit about what's coming up or what the plans are for the competition, any innovations or new developments, or even if you're in a position to uh, announce the 2023 topic or any details around that. I think the most important thing for us is to continue to widen the number of member states, the number of people who take part. Well, in fact, I shouldn't say member states because it's not just member states of the European Union who take part. We also have the EFTA countries uh, take part. So as we've already remarked, uh, one, of the, one of the finalist entries was from Iceland. Uh, Norway take part. Liechtenstein took part this year. Whenever I say to people um, I'm making a, a podcast about statistics, they look quite earnest. But when I say I'm making a podcast about data science, they sit up 
because that it sounds really exciting. And I'm just wondering whether numbers, numeracy, the significance of numbers, especially in a world in which fake news is always threatening us with uh, all kinds of um, perspectives which we know are questionable. So I'm, I'm wondering whether, whether numbers are in vogue now in the way that they historically might not have been. Are you finding that young people are interested in data as a, as a sort of subject area? Uh, is that something, uh, do you think it's a sort of becoming sexier? You can find uh, on the internet that the data scientist is the sexiest job now <laughs> in this time. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> this is the, uh, the answer to your question. And I think that young people are interested now in big data and the world of big data and uh, data science. But statistics, the word statistics means something what is at school or during university classes. And this is not so uh, interesting. And they think, okay, it was boring or something like this. So data science is, is exciting, <laughs> statistics not so. What Joanne has just said is 100% true. Um, I'm reminded of a quote that a former Director General of Eurostat once said at a conference, which is that a data scientist is a statistician who lives in LA. There is a huge overlap between uh, data science and statistics. And a lot of what we've been doing at Eurostat for years is data science. As to getting sexier, I mean, I'm not sure if this is a proof, but one thing I'd point out is that we started an Instagram channel. We are already up to over 60,000 followers. And in the first six months of this year, we, we put on more than 20,000 new followers. Our Twitter channel continues to grow. Our Facebook channel continues to grow. Big data has made the whole area a little sexier, a little more interesting. They've started to think about data in a way that they never did before. That can only be good news for us in the long run if people start to think about data, uh, where it comes from, what it's used for, and how is it being analysed. Well, folks, thank you very much for talking us through the world of the European Statistics Competition, whose short and snappy title belies the huge achievements of the winners, both in making stats interesting, but also doing it through the medium of film. Amazing. Um, a reminder that if you want to see the videos, just Google European Statistics Competition and you'll find them all there. Strongly recommended. It just remains um, for me to say thank you to our panel today and to say goodbye to them individually. Joanna Karofsky-Peak, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn Campbell from the European Commission. Yes, thank you. And Tim Allen from Eurostat. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> yes. And that about wraps up Stats in a Wrap for today. If you've enjoyed it, don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues to seek us out on Google, Spotify and all the usual places. Join us next month when we'll be dishing up more flavoursome insights from Eurostat and friends, this time about the unstoppable rise of Europe's renewable energy. Eurostat has the numbers and the answers in the next episode of Stats in a Wrap. Join us then. Goodbye.